Welcome citizens, you're listening to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Here, thinkers and doers always have a key to the city. The mayor is in, so office hours start now. New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for creatives. Flobo Boys here in the office, burning the midnight oil. Uh, as I'm recording this, it's like 1 a.m. And I am not usually the person that is up late working on the creative projects. I'm a firm believer in getting the sleep. But I understand that some people out there may be night owls, extra vigilant, if you will. And that I respect it. New Amsterdam Radio has just been growing by leaps and bounds. Of course, I thank you each and every episode, and I mean that. Uh, make sure you follow the show wherever platform is comfortable to you the most. And to hit us up on that social media is at New Amsterdam on Instagram and at New underscore Amsterdam on Twitter. You know, people always ask, hey, Flobo, why do you call yourself the mayor? Um, well, I always say that New Amsterdam is a city for creatives and the creative city needs some sort of person in leadership. But the idea of me being a mayor started off in real life as I ran for public office here in my resident, my current town. There you go of Los Angeles. I ran for neighborhood council as a business representative. I came in last place. It was quite an embarrassing display in my opinion, but all my friends lovingly called me the mayor because of that. In fact, if you go to our t-shirt shop at flobito.threadless.com, I actually have a shirt that says literally call me the mayor. But even though I am deterred about public office and public service and making sure that communities are safe, uh, what well, my guest this week is doing just that. Seneca Scott is taking grassroots to a whole nother level, making sure that his hometown or his new hometown, the town he fights out of, I guess, in Oakland, California, has it the tools to thrive as a city. Now, I may not agree with every policy that Seneca does, but I like the fact that Seneca understands what's important for his community. And I just want to sit down with someone who was passionate about making sure everyone in Oakland felt safe. Everyone in Oakland has a place to grow. And well, you can't really fought that. So as I delve into the political realm, uh, chatting up Seneca, let me know what you think. Make sure you tag the show on your social media post and check out newamsterdam.com, KNEW. Amsterdam.com. That's you can learn about this show, New Amsterdam Radio, the flagship, and all the other shows I'm part of the New Amsterdam Network. But without any further ado, my chat with Seneca Scott. Welcome back to New Amsterdam Radio, the podcast for thinkers, creatives, and doers. It is I, Flubble Boys, the mayor in the mayor's office. Speaking with someone that's doing big things for his city as well, please welcome from Neighbors Together Oakland, Seneca Scott. How's it going, sir? I'm good. Good morning. You know what? It's a great day. It's nice. It's breezy out here in Southern California, but you're up in NorCal currently. It's breezy, cool, sunny, maybe 70. Yeah. I, the perfect Mediterranean weather. I love it. Yeah, you know, I, I drove to do the NorCal for the first time legitimately uh, about a month ago. Like, I went through Oakland and crossed over the bridge and had a couple days in San Francisco. I do like the charm of Oakland. Everyone told me I wouldn't like the city, but when I went through, it was amazing. I'm sure Oakland is, is way, way cool people give it credit for. Oakland has soul. It's, a, it's, it's such a good city. Um, I moved here from L.A. eight years ago. Okay. Uh, 
So it's I, I don't. Whoever said that has probably never spent much time there. But right. You know, to, in their defense, and not to be judgmental, uh, I came to San Francisco in the Bay Area, um, in, in Los Angeles, when I lived there for 15 years, many times, and I didn't go to Oakland. Yeah, I, I, but I'm sure the, the city's gotten a lot of charm to you. Like, what's the one thing, if you were to tell someone about Oakland, what would you tell them, like, the visit or experience? It's just so much so, the people. The people who live here are just the most amazing, intentioned, um, egalitarian people you could hope for. Mm -hmm. And it's just an awesome experience to be around people who care so much about just living and the expression of life. The amount of artists per capita is off the charts. Mm -hmm. um, it's just such a beautiful city. Let's talk about our neighborhoods, right? Neighbors Together Oakland NTO uh, is an organization that you co-founded and started. Uh, just a little top overview. What's that about? What made you decide to start this organization? So Neighbors Together Oakland, uh, our mission statement is to build unity and preparedness in our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So I, this, how it came about is I would say, can I take five minutes for that story? It's a little lengthy. Take a little time you need, yeah. Um, so I came to Oakland. Uh, I was the East Bay director for uh, a labor union for mm -hmm. SCIU, and we represented city workers. So I was the as East Bay director. You know, you've got all these cities and a lot of responsibility. And it really introduced me to the Bay Area uh, in a meaningful way because you, you're in a leadership position. I don't like to use the word union boss, but mm -hmm. like you're the, you're the lead guy for the, for the, the area. And I mean, we struck Bart, we struck the city of Oakland, we had a strike in Hayward, I and mean, we were very aggressive during that time. Yeah. Um, so I got to meet a lot of workers and really get introduced to the, the intense levels of activism that also makes Oakland very endearing, like the Black Panthers, the, you know, the anti-war movements in Berkeley, just a lot of protests uh, around LGBTQ rights, like a lot of that is I won't say birth here, but this is an incubation place. This is a place that had a lot of success in piloting and achieving those goals, right? That were progressive um, in that way, in a good way. So I came up here for that. And then I, I left to sort of take a sabbatical. Um, just, I'm in my early 30s, just stressed out. Like, it's a, it's a, a stressful job, right? And so I left. I had to do urban farming and started a little pop-up restaurant that pop-up oh, cool. in, in the garden. So the yeah. pop-up restaurant in the garden became Ocala Festival. Ocala Festival, which is very well known in Oakland. We're now an event production company. For example, next next month on October 16th, we have Black Coffee and Moody Man coming to Oakland. Oh, right? wow. We've taken it from a do-it-yourself festival to booking, you know, what we're now artists in Oakland. Yeah, um, yeah. That's kind of like one thing that I co-founded was Ocala Festival. It was my idea to do a music festival in the community garden. So um, it's just really funky, like art, music, food. That's festival. a great date night spot. It was. It was. Day, it's a day festival. Yeah. But it was. Uh, yeah. Look it up. And so that was cracking. And then so I'm doing my thing. We got Ocala. We got the community garden. Bottoms up community garden. Like uh, I'm able to do you know do consulting and like really live a semi-retired life. And I'm 42 now, but you know, through my mid to late 30s and into my 40s. And 
get off the hamster wheel and like I'm not wealthy by any means, but I'm able to, you know, sustain myself in a very expensive area and mm -hmm. give back to my community in ways that are impactful. Uh, but mainly through growing food and redistributing food from our community garden, from food banks. There's a lot of food insecurities, food prices are skyrocketing yes. more dramatically now, right? So um, it's an important part of, of our neighborhood's health. So then my neighbor, Scotty, I always got to shout out Scotty. <laughs> he sort of made me run for office. So he's an elder. He wouldn't like me saying that, but he's, he's like my parents' age in the 60s. And him and his partner live down the street. And um, he's like, you got to run for office. And we had a person running for office who was pretty dynamic, who ended up winning. And I mean, she killed it. She got like most of the vote. It wasn't even close. But he wanted me to run because our perspective on what was needed for the city and the type of pragmacy that's needed in this moment, he mm -hmm. felt that the other candidates didn't have. And so I said, sure, I run. Um, mainly because I knew that we, with the budget we had and the time constraint, like mm -hmm. we filed in the last day possible. And when we launched our campaign, people had already had their mail-in ballots at the house for a week or so. Okay. So we didn't really have the best chance to win. Right. We also had no money to do direct mailers and 90% of political budgets are spent on direct mailers. Absolutely. So, but we got third with, uh, I think, 2,600 votes. And uh, third out of how many candidates? Six. I can't, that's great. I ran for public office once that came in last place, so props. So two two people were only the only candidates who, I won't say matter, but they were the only candidates who had a shot at winning, was the incumbent and the, the eventual winner, our council person, Carol Fife, who's very well known for mind for housing and just being like a, a really progressive uh, candidate in, in Oakland. I mean, she was going to shout out some like Bernie Sanders and stuff like that, right? So... It was a done deal. You're running against Trump. You're not running a local campaign. Miss um, Fife moved to the district the last minute from another district to run here, and mm -hmm. the union spent you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to get her elected. So there's some issues there because you know people here don't feel exactly represented. Um, she's been in office for nine months. She's been doing a decent job, right? Hey. It's a really challenging circumstances. And as a, she's a sister, she's young, okay. um, she's full of spit and fire. And although we don't always agree, our Neighbors Together is definitely here to support her. But where we came from was that so we lost. And it's like me and the homies, my campaign manager, it was like my friends, right? So our campaign message was Neighbors Together, we deserve better. <laughs> I love it. Watch our <laughs> campaign video. They're really good. So we put all our money into making video, right? And we hired music video director Chapman from, from the Bay Area, who's up and coming. Um, for NTO, we've had music videos, I mean, music, uh, not music, videos to my friend Aaron. We have really talented videographers and artists. It's like I said, Oakland's full of extremely creative people. Yeah. And, you know, you can, you can take 12, 10 to $12,000 and make some pretty good content and still be able to put money in the hands of black creative in, in a way where it's a good check, right? Like to be able to make, you know, 67 G's a month is not bad to do some videos for someone. So we put all our eggs in that basket and they were actually really compelling. I had people hitting me up from both political parties 
who were guests who were trying to figure out what party I was in. Okay. Um, because we don't use any indication of any buzzwords, right? right? And so I told him, well, I, I ran as a registered Democrat because my campaign manager told me to, because just kind of have to do that in Oakland. Mm -hmm. But we describe ourselves as post-partisan. <laughs> I love it. Post-post-partisan. Uh, post-partisan. We're post-partisan revolutionaries, <laughs> right? Okay. And by that, I mean that we're not going left and we're not going right. We're going up-down, either you have integrity or you don't. And this is not new. Bill Clinton ran on, on post-partisanship doctrine. Tony Blair uh, talked a lot about the third way and post-partisanship during his tenure. Gaddafi in the Green Book talks about the third way and post-partisanship. So it was a theme in the late early, early 90s. And then it sort of went away as we delve into our secretarian politics and identity politics we have now. It sort of came back during John McCain's concession speech to Obama. If you remember it, it was a very like glowing speech about Obama and people saw it then as the signal of maybe we were entering into a new post-partisanship era in America. I mean, I was grossly uh, off, as you can tell now, we're pretty much about to have a civil war over politics. It's but, a pendulum. It goes, you know, it comes and goes. It comes, absolutely. Pendulum is the perfect word, brother. So, <laughs> So we're like, we're gonna do it a different way. And Oakland leaves left, obviously, but we have a lot of division here between centrist, right, and, and progressive. And in my opinion, if you look at the radicals, the radical left and the radical right see themselves as one in 12 on a ruler when they're really one in 12 on a clock. Mm. They don't have any issues with embracing fascism and, 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 and immoral gains of power if it suits their need. Mm -hmm. Both sides and a lack of self-awareness is what's leading us to some pretty dark places. And I'll remind people the road to hell is paved with good intention. True. Intentions are, 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 are important, but intentions in themselves are not the end all for a better world and a better society for all of us. So in Oakland, we have a lot of issues with homeless. We have a lot of issues with crime. We have a lot of issues with people not being able to make a living. And when people cannot complete Financially, they compete for more superiority. And that's what you're seeing a lot with our politics now. So Neighbors Together is trying to bring people together to have more unity, resilience, and preparedness. And we use preparedness uh, often. I'm a, a black prepper, right? You guys you see the doomsday preppers? They be white boys and running around in the woods. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on a black prepper trip. We have an urban farm with goats and chickens. And I mean, not just a few, as many as we can have by law, and then some, right? We got over 50 chickens, we got six goats. We're in a hood, right? Mm -hmm. And we're doing that to let people know the importance of bringing the community together around this agricultural system and sustaining yourself and sustaining life. Um, let me get back on track with the question. So the NTO came about was after the campaign, we were like, what are we gonna do with this energy? A lot of people responded to our campaign messaging and our plans that we put forth if we would win, right? Or what we wanted to do in the city. We can still do those things. It doesn't require us to be an elected official to bring neighbors together. Let's just expand it outside of our district to the entire city. And mm -hmm. create an open where there are no more good neighborhoods and bad neighborhoods, but thriving neighborhoods throughout because the whole city is beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. The places where people were used to be the bad neighborhoods are now the areas where people are spending 1.2 plus million dollars for 
Victorians, right? So gentrification is well entrenched. Uh, I like to refer to it as the global consolidation of wealth because that's what's happening, right? Like the, the, the gentry, if you look it up, they're going to move where they want to move, and they're going to buy what they want to buy as long as you're in a system that will end. So we want to build parallel systems because that's all you can do when you're in an oppressive system. You got to build a parallel system while you work within that, or I say work within because I'm not a revolutionary in a sense where we're getting the guns yet, yet mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. down a man, right? But that's always on the table too, because it's always on the table. That's how life works. And I don't mean that as a personal declaration. I mean that as just a historic reference of that's always on the table, right? Mm-hmm. People, populist uprisings and uprisings of the people happen with the pendulum swing. So what neighbors together means to do is get people together to grow food, talk to each other, manifest community, drop your echo chambers uh, that are not serving us right now, right? Like, it may feel good, but if you look around, I mean, as I look around my city, it ain't working. Mm-hmm. And you got homeless people who continue to be in the same condition and no one's helping them, but yeah, any attempts to help them are seen as non-progressive. It's just it's complicated. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But we're trying to return some some clarity and uh, intellectualism to our debates because right now most people are not capable of having an intellectual debate. And by that I mean the only intellectual way to debate is to point out errors or omissions in someone's facts or logic or arguments. That's it, right? And it's really not the straw man attacks, not the ad hominem attacks, or the lawyering, or the name calling, right? Or the assumptions. Like you say one thing and you just create a whole picture of someone's nuanced behavior and political spectrum of what you think it is based off one person's quote, because it may be something you you heard on Fox News or on the opposite end of the spectrum, you hear someone say something that you may have heard on CNN, and if you're Republican, you just assume that this person, it's just ridiculous at this point, right? And it's, it's, it's pretty much a mass psychosis and a menticide, the killing of our minds from social media, right? From this, this not being honest. When you have the confliction of a normalcy bias with living real time where society collapse, Mm-hmm. People are grieving. People's mental health are slipping, and we're going to need each other to get through the Great Depression 2.0. That I believe that we're beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Especially as people lose their rent subsidies and all these things are ending. They may extend them, but if they extend them, and they're just kicking a can down the road. Eventually, you know, unless you completely change our political system, which only going to happen violently. Right, it does not happen peacefully ever. I mean, I'm not saying it won't, but so we're in a we're in this weird space right now where I'm very concerned about people's safety, mm-hmm. uh, our ability to sustain life, and help each other through these difficult times. And I say that because we're divided, and if we stay that way, then it's gonna get bad. I mean, we already have over three fires a day in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Right, like we already have a place where police are leaving in droves to because it's not safe or they don't feel appreciated. Um, some of them shouldn't leave, but they want the best cops. But 
you know, the, but the consequences of having less than 700 police officers in a city where you probably should have a thousand, it's gonna matter eventually when you can't get a handle on your crime, right? Like forget prevention, you can't even go investigate now. You've got to triage what things you even deal with. Criminals are self-aware of this and they're gonna take advantage of that, right? And their predatory nature. So we're in a scary place right now. Most people know it. You're in LA, it's worse than LA than Oakland. Let me tell you, LA is bad, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. LA is intense right now. I mean, you should feel it walking and driving through the streets. You can't even hide anywhere anymore. You go out to Ventura, it's everywhere. What well, do you I, I was, yeah, I live, in, I live in Culver City, but I was born in, in New York. I was born in Brooklyn. So I have that feeling all the time. So you telling me that is news to me, right? <laughs> ah, you're from Brooklyn, what part? Uh, Flatlands. All right, I went to school in uh, upstate. But most, uh, okay, respect, respect. Yeah, yeah. with me right now. He, he grew up in uh, not well, he grew up, forgot what part, but uh, he lived in Flatbush. I lose a lot. Oh, Flatbush, yeah, that's the next neighborhood over. Flatbush is way more famous. That's where the Barclays is, that's where Barbara Streisand's from. <laughs> but Bushwick, Flatbush, yeah, yeah. that whole area. I got a hell of friends over there, yeah, um, respect, but. I mean, it's it's intense in everywhere. I mean, you see it in your. I mean, it's definitely the homeless is the biggest indicator. The fact that we we're allowing people to uh, self harm and exist in these, you know, tremendously difficult mental straits that they're in, and not give them any help. Yeah, it's really problematic. Um, well, so let's talk about, about that. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that can help or affect the city or impact the city. And you can sit there and just rack your brain about how many different ways you can improve your community. But what is like the top two, top four, top five issues that Neighbors Together Oakland are trying to focus on, trying to hammer down? We have four uh, pillars that we focus on. The first is community safety. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do anything if you're not safe, if people can't come outside. Uh, so we, we list that as paramount. Second is creating localized agricultural systems that are renewable or regenerative, right? Um, as you're looking at the collaborative just-in-time delivery system due to lack of workers and people getting sick and a pandemic, uh, we need to produce more food locally. Not only does it have higher nutritional value, uh, it's, it's regenerative, right? So we need to do an overhaul in the way that we produce our food Mm -hmm. and, and use our waste, right? Because waste can be fertilizer or purpose correctly, and we can create our cities in more of a closed loop. So we want to focus on localized agricultural systems and starting more community gardens throughout Oakland because they really do bring people together. And I don't mean your gentrified community gardens. I mean the ones where the community knows it's theirs and they eat from it. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our third pillar is thriving local businesses. And we say local, we, we mean like owned by people who live in the community. So we can circulate our dollars in our community, increase mm -hmm. the velocity of money uh, and build wealth in our neighborhoods. And then last is accessible housing. And we say accessible, not affordable, because if you on drugs and you need to kick your habit, or if you are crazy and you need to get mentally well, you're not gonna be able to afford anything anytime soon. How? Mm -hmm. Right, so they need to access housing. They need to access it now. Um, so we're also focusing on helping create housing and, and put pressure on our elected to do the things necessary to get these people off the street who are in these unfortunate circumstances. 
So homelessness is just something that I've seen a lot of, of ink spilled on, especially with your organization, which relate to you. I know I live in Los Angeles. I believe it's 60,000 unhoused individuals in our city alone, in my city alone, or my current city alone. Uh, what's What's been the story in Oakland? Is there more of a push to make this happen? Is there more challenges to address the homeless crisis? And had you noticed that you had men once mentioned it as a humanitarian crisis? Care to elaborate? Yeah, the UN actually said it in Oakland specifically. I don't know how to include Los Angeles when you guys are worse off than we are. Um, with 60,000, if you scale it to the city's size, what's the Angeles? What's, what's the population of Los Angeles? Four million metro. So you're 10 times bigger than Oakland, which means that you should have about, oh no, you're right on scale. Officially, we have 4,000, but I like to double that. So we're about right in the same way. I take that back. Um, mm -hmm. We're about, in terms of, of population density, we're about the same. Here's the thing. We have 70% of the city's homeless exists in just one district, District 3, where I live. Mm -hmm. Right? So, and, if, and the other 30% virtually are in another district, District 1, with other parts of the flatland. So all the places where the black and brown people live that are where we have the homeless. And up until recently, most of these homeless actually came from the neighborhoods that they lived in. They were displaced due to gentrification and due to rising cost of living and, and lack of affordable housing um, or inaccessible housing. So, but in the last five or six years, that changed. Mm -hmm. right? People are coming from everywhere. And I, I call it the Great Unwash 2.0, not to make light of it. But to draw historical reference to the Great Depression, because I don't think people are being honest with ourselves about just how serious these problems are that we're facing right now, right? Mm -hmm. So in Oakland, we have intense poverty and homelessness. We have a city that, so I ran for city council, right? You remember that? Mm -hmm. At the height of our, a week before the election or two weeks before the actual election, now people was already mailing in their ballots and whatnot. Well, uh, two weeks before November 3rd, on October 25th, city council unanimously voted for an encampment management policy. Okay. And Could you elaborate what an encampment is for someone who doesn't know? And, uh, it's a homeless camp. Okay. So it's a, a shanty town, a tent city. Anywhere you, you have more than, I would say, three tents. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's an official estimation, but in Oakland, we have over 150 encampments that we've charted, right? And the encampment management policy provides a list of do's and don'ts for public camping. Now, if you juxtapose that to say Austin, who just made public camping illegal, and other place, places like LA, where they're just saying you can't be here, the encampment management policy is incredibly progressive and in that it does allow for encampment. But encampments in high sensitive areas have to be attached to a nonprofit and a regulatory agency and encampments in low sensitive areas, meaning that they're not close to businesses, schools, parks, et cetera, they have a list of rules and do's and don'ts they have to follow in order to, to keep the encampment sanctioned. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's meant to balance the interests of the housed and the unhoused. And it was created by creating a whole department. They hired a bunch of people for this department. This department had a bunch of meetings and kumbayas and meeting with the community and environmental impact studies and all this time which equates to money, the city council unanimously voted and approved this policy 
And I would say during this city council meeting, over 300 people called in who were homeless activists and says, don't do the policy. We don't like it. Hmm. And they voted for it anyway. But then guess what happened? They didn't do the policy. They just ignored it and act like it didn't even exist. Okay. Because every time they were start to try to do it, the advocates would protest. And since we woke lens, and when I say woke, I don't mean awake. There is some stuff afoot and amiss, people. There is a revolution to be had. You do need to wake up. But the wokes is performative. It's performative altruism. It's all virtue signaling. There's no real tangible solution in this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by the woke. So what happened was homeless advocates did a great job in protecting this vulnerable population from being displaced and swept all around. Mm -hmm. And they fought and they won Supreme Court decisions in California that says you cannot displace people unless you have housing for them. Because you're just displacing them. Great job. <laughs> Salute. I fought for that too. I'm an activist. I fought for that. So then you won that. Then you create a policy where every time an encampment's closed, you go to people and say, here's the housing. And then the homeless advocates move the goalposts to, well, we need housing with no strings attached. Well, why do you need housing with no strings attached? Well, because they're not going to take it because they can't do their drugs there. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. They need to get off drugs. Yeah, well, that's cool. I'm like, oh, a few points here. 70%, so 80% of Oakland's homeless are black. 70% of Oakland's homeless have mental illness and drug addiction, both. Okay. The average homeless advocate is white. Okay. So a group of white people are stopping a group of black people and from getting homes and drugs treatment and mental health therapy because they wanted one of those socialist anarchist movements on the blacks of poor black people. And I say, fuck that shit. I'm over it. We're taking a stand against that. They're fighting against this policy. And, and you know what? Let me take that back. Fuck that shit. But for those activists, they're not elected. Right. The elected officials unanimously approved the policy and then failed to even try to implement it. They didn't do one assignment. Not one homework assignment. You had a whole semester and the summer go by and your group project has no progress. Yeah. You fell. So we sued them. And we filed a writ of mandamus in court with a federal judge in the Superior Court of Alameda County to demand, to demand and enforce the city to follow their own rules. You sued the city or the activists? You sued the city. Okay. Right? So funny thing happened when we filed this lawsuit. Now look at me. Look at the people on my wall. Sojourner True, and I got Frederick Douglass. I got Fred Hampton here. I got the Black Panthers here. I got Marcus Garvey here. I'm not going to pull them down. Maybe you can do a tour later if you have time. <laughs> I'm living in the hood, feeding my Black people. I'm a Scott. Coretta Scott King is my, I say my auntie, but it's really my, my father's first cousin. my grandfather's niece. I've grown up with activism. I've been a union organizer my whole adult life. Everything I do is for my people. Mm -hmm. Proof of concept being in my community garden in a free music festival where we don't charge people and vendors bend for free so they can take all their profit with them. 
and I'm black, sure. and we formed this movement, we filed this lawsuit, and we announced it, and all these white wokes, that's what I call them now, these white wokes come out the woodworks attacking me, saying that I'm a bad person and I'm evil for wanting the city to do their job. And I say, well, where's that energy toward the council person who voted for it? Because you support them and you demonize me. I just want them to do what they said they were going to do. They mm -hmm. never answered the question, of course, because to answer it would expose the hypocrisy. Dangerous times, bro. So now they're attacking me about my people. Just mostly white people. I'll give you another story. There was a rally for public safety called by a black police chief. Okay. Right? Brother from West Oakland, born and raised, who did lost family and sisters and all types of people to gun violence. Now he's the police chief trying to end gun violence and make our neighborhoods safe. Now OPD is horrible. They're under federal oversight. They're one of the worst police departments in the country. This brother just started a few months ago trying to, trying to get it back on track. You look at the average officer in Oakland, they brown. Mm -hmm. A lot of sisters too. And at this rally, it's a bunch of brown and white cops, mostly brown cops, all these churches and community groups, 100 black men and all of that. A bunch of young men holding up signs and pictures that they dare homies who got wasted this year in these streets of Oakland. This, this year alone, talking about dozens of dead young men and these brothers is holding up their signs. You got Trayvon Martin's mother in the audience. And on a hill, there's a bunch of white wokes with ACAB and fuck the police signs antagonizing these people as they're mourning these dead young men and women who've been killed in the street. Talking about fuck the police and all of this stuff. This ain't the time or place for that. And at one point, they're reading off the people's names who've been killed by the cop, and they read off Trayvon Martin's name, and his mom turned around like, that's my son. Leave. You're not helping. But they didn't leave. So if you look at the video, you'll see me in this green T-shirt telling these white wokes, yo, leave. This is performative. This is not helping. You say Black Lives Matter, and then you mask up. I know it's the pandemic, but hey, there's a historical trauma to seeing white people in masks encircle Black people and protest us, you know? If you really awoke, awake, you would know that. Mm -hmm. Right? And then all these wokes and all that talking, yo, Nah, yo, that shit pissed me off. That shit pissed me off, like big time. You disrespecting these elders. This elders asking you to stand down. If you thought Black Lives Matter and you really respected our community, you would have stood down that day, but they didn't. They kept interrupting people on that bullhorn until I whispered something in the dude's bullhorn ear to make them stop that shit. Basically saying, if you don't believe in cop and you're not going to call the police, who are you going to call? when I take this bullhorn from you and beat you upside your fucking head with it. Disrespect this elder. This guy got clenched fist by an elder. A white man in a mask with clenched fist, like he's about to do something to our elder? Are you serious? And these are who we're calling progressive? Black people need to watch this stuff. Do not let these white people co-op your movement. This is about us and our freedom and our liberation and our safety. And the numbers show this is a black problem. So. Anyway, I'm getting emotional now, but this is what we're going through in Oakland. Yeah. The black people dying here. Yeah. We're trying to help save us. And we're working against ourselves in many ways. So 
we can't be divisive. We got to bring people together. But we also have to out people who mean to divide as the means of attaining their power, right? And so post-partisanship is not neutrality. It's quite the opposite. It's a very aggressive movement to bring light to the intentional divisiveness of people falling for the propaganda. That's obviously, look, come on, guys. You know people use propaganda. You don't think these algorithms and the fact that we're all attached to our devices now is having an impact on us. And if you believe that, you don't think that there's a deliberate push to make people do certain things, don't be that naive. Wake up. But don't be awoke. Because that's performative, right? And I'm saying that to make, you got to have some humor in these times to draw the distinction. But that's so what we're on is like, look, Make it simple. Do you know the people who live on your block? Are you friends with them? Do you know what they do for a living? Do you know what they do for a living? Do you know who the doctors are? Do you know who grows the food? If you have an earthquake in LA and you can't leave your block for two months, what's your plan? Right? So we're kind of more like focused on that. But we can't even get to that when our brothers and sisters are sleeping in trash and being preyed upon by drug dealers, because that's what happens. When you have a hands-off approach to encampment management, that means drug dealers move in. When you don't allow anybody to search tents, and you, that means drug dealers put their drugs in a tent. Like, come on, y'all. This is basic stuff, and we can't get right. You know what I'm saying? So like, we need people who are pragmatic, who are solutionaries, who can be honest about the moment from a place of compassion. And that's why we've been working hard to get um, uh, allegiances with people who provide direct services to the homeless. And one of the things that we're proud of is that we're working with Oakland Compassion Project, a beautiful organization that gives tips, direct services, food, waters, women's sanitation project, uh, et cetera, so people can live outside more comfortable. And then another group, Urban Park Cleanup, that helps clean up all the trash. Because another thing that happens is illegal dumpers be dumping the hell out of these homeless camps because there ain't no oversight, right? And then they dump all this illegal dumping, and then people crazy, and they go through the refuse and do crazy people stuff with it. And I don't mean that to demonize them. That's what they're doing. They're crazy. We need to get these people some help, man. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, stop ignoring this stuff. That's not cool that we ignore this. That's not progressive to ignore people's mental instability and not help them. So it takes the political will and public will to do the hard things. It takes the courageous leadership to take the courageous step necessary during a time of crisis. We don't have those leaders right now, in my opinion, for the most part. Like I said, I got hope for the new ones. If you knew in Oakland and you just got elected, I'm not talking to you. But if you've been here for more than one time, I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. Go. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the cool things about I don't say cool things. One of the interesting things about a city because it's so vibrant and it's so different ways to experience it. Is that a lot of times those in power have one particular lens of what the city is and what it looks like. So it's always great to have people, constituents like yourself, to say, "Hey, look, you may feel this way with your experience, but for what I can tell on the ground in my district or my location, it's more like this." True, but people have to be be able to speak out. And right now, and it's, it's just a mixed feeling about this, right? 
I have the world's smallest violin sometimes because white people feel their voices aren't being heard. Like, oh, well, welcome to the party, I tell them. Right? Or white people say, man, you can say stuff I can't say. If I say what you say, then they demonize me. I says, we've had to talk through y'all forever. We've had to do business through y'all forever in proxy. Right? To get your house appraised, to not get judged, you got to make sure it's a white name. You got to put white families up in your house when you station it. So you don't get played. We've been having to do this shit for a long time. So nothing is right, but welcome to the party. Maybe feeling it a little bit will help you to solve the conditions that perpetuate this type of division. But at the same time, I also have to remember there are a lot of people who have a lot to contribute who are feeling silent just because they're white. Fred Hampton wasn't with that. If you look at what Fred Hampton was about, which is one of my personal heroes now, Right, is he was really on some postpartisan solutionary stuff. Listen to his speeches, and you're him black power for black people, white power for white people, red power for red people, yellow power for yellow people, and X power for those we left out. He went to the Young Patriots Party, Young Patriots Party, the Proud Boys and Boogaloo of his day, broke bread, went to their rallies, and was like, Man, y'all tripping off this race shit. The man is the problem. And they got them all together to fight the man. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to do. What he was doing was so impactful. They said we have to prevent the rise of a black messiah. And then they killed him at 21. Yeah. Fred right. story is one of the more uh, interesting ones. If you are familiar, make sure you have a chance to do that uh, for those of you here. I, I, it's history. It's American history, but definitely is one of the one of the one, one of the more uh, compelling stories here in our country. I, I, I mean, the movie was great. Uh, Shaka King, who directed, wrote it, and all of that. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, it was filmed in Cleveland, where I'm from, my hometown. I got to go on set, talk to talk to his son. Uh, it was a powerful day watching his son have to be on set the day that they're filming his father's assassination. Mm -hmm. Right? And just the gravity of that moment and, and you know, how brave he had to be to just watch that happen because you have to do a bunch of takes, yo. Like, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But he's, he's a trooper. He, you know, I think he he dealt with it more than, better than we did. We are balling. Yeah. He, he was really stoic. But um, it was just a lot to take in, right? What what his life could have meant if he had not been assassinated. And he wasn't even murdered. He wasn't even murdered. They pretty much tried to erase him. Huh. Because most people don't know what he was doing. Martin Luther King was murdered. We know what he stood for. We know what Malcolm X stood for. We don't really know what Fred Hampton stood for. You know why they don't want you to know what Fred Hampton stood for? Because they were bringing neighbors together. That's why. That's what he stood for. Because we all deserve better. It's just repackaged Fred Hampton 2.0 stuff. You know, saying nothing new under the sun, man. You yeah. know. And if anyone right now wanted to connect with you after this or learn more about Neighbors Together Oakland, how would they go about doing that? Uh, NeighborsTogetherOakland.org online. Um, you put it in the search engines on Google or on YouTube. You can see all of our propaganda. Um, 
I mean, it's all propaganda. People should be honest. Propaganda is neutral. Could be good propaganda and bad propaganda, right? But we made these videos to to change your hearts and minds and move you to action. So we we use that word so people can start to be self-aware that everything that you're looking at is propaganda and they're trying to move you to action. So if you're not self-aware of what they're doing, you should probably get more aware, right? Mm -hmm. So check out our, our videos and our propaganda and what we're about. You can hit me up, um, Seneca Scott, and you Google me, you can, you know, Put my email is Seneca at NeighborsTogetherOakland.org. Uh, Seneca is S-E-N-E-C-A. Thanks so much for listening to New Amsterdam Radio. Learn more about the show at NewAmsterdam.com. That's K-N-E-W Amsterdam.com. Until next time, this city is yours.